This is Russ with the Thundercast, and you are listening to The Monarchists. Hey, Monarch Nation. It's your boy, Mike, for The Monarchists. We are back with a game recap for the Marshall game and a preview for the Oyster Bowl against JMU. I am joined, as always, by Aaron and Gary. But this week, we have a special guest, ODU football alum, Jude Brenya. Uh, he played from 13 to 16. Fantastic career, 42 games, a lot of tackles. Jude, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We're excited to be able to talk to, about this Marshall game and preview the JMU game with someone who actually played the game and can maybe dissect the defense and the offense a little bit differently than we can. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. All right, fellas. So before we get to the game, there was a lot of positive stuff that happened on campus this week. We were lucky enough to play in the OU baseball golf tournament on Friday. It was a fantastic event, beautiful weather. And we actually got to go watch the baseball team play in their fall ball on Friday night. Got to see a home run from one of the Wheeler brothers. Uh, great environment there. ODU field hockey, they make it to the championship. They fall short, but they've had a great season so far, winning the regular season conference championship and making it to the finals. Hopefully they can get in at large, hearing the odds are not that great, but hopefully they make it. ODU women's soccer wins the, their, the first Sunbelt championship for ODU in women's soccer today, beating JMU in overtime. And I think the men's team is playing right now. But overall, pretty good weekend for ODU, minus what happened on that football field yesterday. So welcome, everybody. What do you guys want to talk about first? Uh, first, a shout out to Dex Blank for absolutely carrying our golf team in the tournament on Friday. I think we probably used 98% of his shots. So thank you, Dex. I also saw him a ton at football on Saturday, then out at field hockey again today. Three of us were there at field hockey this evening over at LR Hill. Stands were packed. A lot of other sports teams were there as well. I know we saw Fred Chow and the volleyball team, and they're coming off their sweep of Georgia State over the weekend. I'm pretty sure I saw some women's lacrosse players. I know tennis was there, baseball guys, football guys were looking in from the, the LR Hill building. So great atmosphere over there at LR Hill tonight. Fortunately, they came up a little bit short, gave up an early goal kind of on a turnover, but great season for them. And hopefully they can somehow sneak into the tournament. Yeah, Gary, we saw Dominilla. Of course, Finney was over there from baseball, but I am a little disappointed. I mean, I know Dex played awesome. But I think I contributed one putt, and for you to not mention that one putt, I'm kind of hurt. <laughs> well, I did want to tell all your stories, you know, with your club head malfunction on the first tee box either. But, yes, you you had some clutch putts for us, and Mike had a couple of very, very nice shots. I did absolutely nothing in the golf tournament for the team. Well, I will say I had concern, and I expressed it to you guys, that I hadn't golfed in seven years. And I didn't know if dry rot of golf clubs was a thing. But apparently it is because on that first tee, the club head on my three wood made it to the ladies tees and my ball made it maybe 10 or 15 yards further than that. So that was that was an eventful way to start that tournament off. Yeah, that glue just did not want to work anymore. It just gave up. 
He says, this guy's not using me. I'm just I'm quitting this. But it was a great swing. For how hey, far that went, you clearly had some speed on that, that, that swing there. I do, I do appreciate that. And there was one other cool event this weekend before the football game at 9 a.m. over by the Mitch. Nancy Lieberman unveiling of her statue and Nancy Lieberman pass there on 43rd Street. So that's pretty sweet. Kind of a nice opening to the, the weekend and men's and women's basketball kicking off their regular season tomorrow. Tomorrow night at the Chartway. Almost said the Ted. That's just really natural. It's the Ted. Okay. Tomorrow night. That's right. Chartway is not sponsoring us. So, yeah, tomorrow night at the Ted, men's basketball opens up and the women open up on the road at Florida Gulf Coast. So I know we'll be streaming that game while we're watching the men at the Ted. That's a tough place to go play. Florida Gulf Coast was like 30 and three last year. They're a really good opponent. That's a tough way to start the season. But we're all here to talk about football. Uh, ODU hosted Marshall. We had another fantastic tailgate. We hosted Dick Holler and his family. His son is on the Marshall team right now. I believe he's number 55. Plays guard. Great family. It was awesome to meet them and hang out with them. And Harry brought it with those peppers off the grill. Those were fantastic. But then the, the the game happened, and ODU can't get anything going on offense. We lose twelve to nothing. No one gets in the end zone, but it doesn't matter because we don't put up anything. On a positive end, this may be the best defensive performance ODU football has ever had in a game. They're on the field practically the whole game. They gave up no touchdowns. They kept putting our offense in position to win. So shout out to Siler and those, that de- defensive unit. That was fantastic. But offensively, we got some stuff to talk about. Hey, while we were at that tailgate, if you guys had told me that we would give up 12 points on defense, I would have bet a lot of Gary's money because I don't bet mine because I don't do well. I'd have bet a lot of Gary's money saying we'd have won that game. It was impressive performance by the defense. Yeah. Yeah, You almost have to look at this game in two different pieces. You have the offensive side and the defensive side, and it was such a night and day difference. seemed like everything we were doing on the defensive side was working. We were in the right position. We were blitzing at the right time. Coverage was great. Guys making huge plays really all over the field. Then on the offensive side, it was the exact opposite. We were throwing everything but the kitchen sink at them from a passing perspective, and just just nothing was working. But Jude, I'd love to get your perspective on on the defense, how they played, and what you saw out there on the field. So as a former defensive end myself and defensive player, I think that the defense definitely did an amazing job this game. You know, that best thing a defense can do is to shout out by the next best thing is to not let a touchdown. And defense was able to, to do that and – kept putting the offense in good situations to get a comeback. And unfortunately, we were not able to do that on offense. But definitely big shout out to the defense. They they kept us in the game and they kept fighting regardless of what the offense was doing. But back then when I was playing, it was always do your job. It does not matter what offense is doing. Defense, we still got to go out there and uh, still play defense. And I think this defense did that this game. I felt like the defense was always kind of behind the sticks in terms of where they started with field position. I mean, 
We have the four turnovers. Marshall has a very favorable field and a lot of those, and they, they didn't care the penalty to extend a drive. Okay. We're going to cause a turnover on the next play. Really a, a gutty effort from a defense that I know at this point in the season is very banged up. I imagine that everyone on the field is dealing with some sort of injury. So to put out that performance, to be on the field as much as they were, I think it was over 38 minutes that they were on the field. Really just an impressive and, and gutty job by the defense. Have to give a shout out to Ethan Dwayne. Eight punts, average 42.9 yards, pinned Marshall inside the 24 times, had two 50-plus yard punts. He was a, a big weapon for us, and when we were able to set the stage for field position, he did an awesome job pinning him in. I know he had one that went down there at the one in the south end zone. I think the referees were even confused that it didn't bounce in. It just uh, was much better than my sand wedge shots from the golf tournament on Friday, I'll say that. I'm just thankful his foot didn't go flying off like my club head because we really needed him in this game. Oh, yeah, definitely. That punter was on point this game, and shout out to him because he, he did put – the defense in good starting field position with the punts and most of the time within the 25-yard line. So that, that that was good on him. Oh, and we blocked the kick again. So shout out to special teams. Yeah, that kind of looks like it's becoming the defense as uh, kind of special to, you know, blocking field goals and uh, extra points and stuff like that. So, yeah, shout, shout out to them. I think we should be – I haven't looked, but I would assume we're – close to the top in the country right now for block kicks on field goals. Baron, maybe you can check that out on your fancy computer for us. All right. Defensively, got to give a shout out to Trey Hawkins and Tobias Harris. Tobias should have had an interception. It was called off because of a PI, but he also tips one to Trey Hawkins in the end zone, which ends a great drive for Marshall gets the ball back in the offensive hands. So shout out to him. And Sean Asbury had his own interception. We forced turnovers. We didn't let them score. They couldn't pass on us at all. Some of that was Cam Fancher's accuracy, but our defense played well in the passing game. We bend on the, the run, though, but we didn't break at all this game. So fantastic effort by the defense. But this offense, guys... I'm not sure where to start with this offense. Yeah, I mean, we really haven't played well on the offensive side of the ball since Coastal Carolina when we really had everything working in that game. The run game was going, pass game was wide open, just looked like a completely different team. We tried a lot of different and unique things on the offensive side of the ball Saturday. You can't say that we weren't trying to get creative. DJ Matt caught a pass and ball gets punched out and he turns it over, but You've got a quarterback throwing to your backup quarterback. We were putting guys in motion, trying to create some leverage with motion plays and handoffs and kind of quick passes on the swings off of that motion. I think we even stole a play that Georgia State ran last week where we snapped the ball and the entire offensive line was moving to the left, had Hayden Wolf in motion, hits Javon Harvey for a pass. It actually goes for several yards. He gets the ball ripped out from him. So it's almost like, Anytime we kind of got a little bit of momentum on offense, there was a turnover there or a penalty or something that set us back. We just couldn't do much on offense. The running game was not there early, um, and we, we didn't really go back to it. I think Blake Watson only had 10 carries. Offensive line, I think, was what I was most concerned about going into that game, given the number of injuries we have there. A couple guys were game-time decisions. I thought they were 
very strong in pass blocking throughout the whole game. They did a good job of keeping Hayden clean and keeping that pass rush off of him. There were a couple coverage sacks that were later in the game, but run blocking, there there was nothing. I had a very unique view of this game being in the south end zone in the upper level of one of those suites. I've never sat up there before, but you can really see the lanes and things starting to develop and what's on the field. You get a really clear picture and there's just nothing there. There's no run lanes open. There's nowhere for Blake to go. He made some, so a couple of plays just based on him moving and kind of getting through the line, but we have problems passing, running. It was kind of a nightmare on the offensive side of the ball. The first play of the game kind of felt like a preview to the rest of the game with regards to offense. He had a play there that could have gone potentially for a touchdown, if not for a lot of yards. And it was just a little off from where I was seated. I couldn't really tell if the pass was off or if Ali was just, you know, he's nicked up. So I don't know if he just didn't have quite the get up that he normally would, but that one was there and we just weren't able to capitalize on it. And it never felt like we really could get anything going. Timing in the passing offense just did not seem to be there yesterday at all. Either throwing behind receivers throwing in front of receivers it's just they weren't on the same page and i'm not sure how to really describe it other than that they just didn't seem to be on the same page at all a game where only 12 points are scored it doesn't take many plays to make a big difference and i know that coach ronnie will never talk about this and i know that we try not to with regards to officiating but there were a couple really bad calls or non-calls on pass interference committed on our receivers that would have gone for significant gains and might have been enough to spark us a little bit there but just kind of really hampered drives yeah just never got going at all yeah i mean uh so with the officiating crew there were certain calls where they didn't call and there were certain calls where were very questionable but one thing that really stood out to me was the head ref whenever he was calling a, a penalty against uh you know marshall he will confuse marshall with odu and you know will be like penalties on odu rather than marshall which kind of made me kind of question whether even if the officiating crew had their their head in the game and i'm not sure if they did because i think he did that three times and Maybe the first time you might be like, okay, it's a mistake. But the second time and the third time, come on. Uh, I'm not sure what was going on over there. So that was, that was very concerning. Got into the bourbon at the tailgate, I think, before the game is, <laughs> is what it seemed like. They couldn't even point in the right direction. But, yeah, I, definitely some officiating issues. I don't think that's why we lost the game. And I do want to give credit to Marshall's defense. They've been a good defensive unit all year. They schemed well and put their guys in position to make plays and the players in the field executed. I still think that we have enough talent and enough weapons to where we shouldn't get shut out by anybody in the country, but they played exceptionally well. And I, I don't want this to be just that the offense did not play well, because we, we know that, but Marshall played really, really well. And I thought they did a good job of making us one dimensional a little bit earlier in the game than we probably wanted to, where we weren't running the football and we were basically pass heavy and we've seen that a lot from ODU getting down in the second half having to throw 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 and, and getting away from any chance to run but Jude I, I want to ask you this question as a former defensive lineman when you make an offense one-dimensional and you know that they're passing that makes the defensive line's job much much easier and I'd love to to get your take on that and and what you're doing if you're the defensive end when you know that you're in a, a passing down 
Yes, playing on the D-line, when you realize that, okay, we're able to shut down the run game and now they're one-dimensional and all they're going to do is throw the most probability is, you know, you're always going to be in your pass rush mode and that gives you more drive to, you know, go attack the quarterback and not worry much about the run game because, you know, you guys have shut down the run game and you're not going back to it. So it keeps everybody basically knowing, okay, it's going to be a pass. It's going to be a pass and they don't have to worry about the run game. So, you know, definitely Marshall, shout out to their defense, unfortunately, but they did a good job shutting down, down the run game and then made us one dimensional, which is going to throw the ball. So, you know, being a defensive end, if I know that the quarterback is most likely going to throw, my pass rush game is going to be on the whole time. And I don't really have to worry about the run game, maybe blocking and, you know, staying my, in my lane or even worrying about the running back. Definitely, it's never good for the offense to be one dimensional. You got to be able to have the run game and the pass game. So, you know, you keep the defense on their toes and uh, guessing. But unfortunately, our offense could not do that. All right. So if we're going through the numbers offensively and defensively, they won for third down efficiency. They were five of 19. So if we had said, oh, we're going to hold them to five of 19 on third down, you think, oh, we're good. We're good to go here. But we were only two of 14. Passing, we hold them to 89 yards passing. Another great thing. We have 198 yards passing with an interception. They threw two. Another positive for our defense. But we're held to 11 yards rushing. And they have almost 300. They had more penalties. They had the ball longer. And those four... Those three fumbles, uh, it all adds up to a 12 to nothing defeat. Forward, I'm not sure what we can build on here. I know the, the defense is good to go. I'm confident they can play with anybody right now. But the offense, something needs to change here. One thing I noticed throughout the game was some communication issues on, on play calling, getting play calls in where the quarterback's eyes pre-snap. It seemed like we were getting calls in maybe a little bit late and we weren't able to move with the tempo that we wanted. We've said on this podcast many times, this offense is best when they are going very, very quickly. Getting one quick play call in from the sideline, Hayden comes to the line, checks, makes adjustments, and we go. And we're snapping the ball with 20, 25 seconds left on the play clock. I saw so many times on Saturday, we're set up at the line. There's 35 seconds on the play clock. Hayden's looking to the sideline, getting a call, still looking to the sideline. Another call comes in. Next thing you know, there's 10 seconds on the play clock. There's no time for adjustment. And I think, you know, Hayden has been in our system for several years now. He probably watches more film than anybody in that building. I really want to see his eyes on the defense and seeing what he sees in front of him. Only the perspective from the booth is helpful for initial setup, getting that initial call in. But I, I almost felt like he was micromanaged a bit on Saturday. And then he wasn't comfortable, then he wasn't confident, and that really hurt some of the timing. So I, I want to see more of Coastal where we're going fast, he gets that one call in, we're making adjustments and we're going. I just felt like he didn't have time to make changes, wasn't really able to read the defense as well. So that communication piece from the booth down to the sideline to get those calls in, at some point you just have to trust your quarterback to run your offense and know he's going to make adjustments. We all watched a lot of Taylor Heineke football, and we know that there was one play coming in. He was going to change it, do his thing, and he had that full trust. So 
I, I think you, you either trust your quarterback or you don't. And it, it seemed like on Saturday that there was the communication micromanagement a little bit on Hayden. So did you, when you were at Georgia state, did you see the same kind of things happening? It's really been consistent this year and last year. I feel like there are some games when we get the offense going and we're moving quickly that it just kind of goes away and, and we're not looking to the sideline as much, but really it's it, Hayden's looking to the sideline. The receivers are looking to the sidelines. You do, there's no way with 10 seconds on the play clock when you finally get to play that you can do any kind of protections, adjustments, motions, anything. It's definitely been a trend for us. Notice it at Georgia State, especially when we're down, it just feels like we're squeezing too hard and we need to let guys go out there and play ball. Well, I know in my line of work, perfection's the enemy of success. So being so worried about having the exact perfect play call and looking over and getting those things changed all the time, I think I agree with you 100%, Gary. It's, Hayden's been there long enough that he. I think that we just got to give him that opportunity to get the play call, have some options, look at the defense, and make a decision, make the best decision, and we need to live with it because there just appears to be too much of that uncertainty and getting down. And, Jude, you could probably tell us better than anybody, that play clock gets down, and you've got it right in front of you. You can see your, your, the play clock as well as the quarterback can, and it helps you be able to get off and time that as well. And we get down – that play clock gets down sometimes pretty close when we're changing all those things. Yes, definitely. Um, play clock is a very, very big thing um, in, in this game. And if your if offense is not really set, everybody's not on the same page before the play clock is going down, obviously everybody's worried about it. Maybe you might have a snap early or two, or you everybody's not on the same page before the ball gets snapped. So it gives it definitely gives the defense advantage on that. I'm not sure what's going on with the play call there and what's taking long to get the players to play call. But one thing that I will talk about the offense that I, I noticed yesterday was I don't really see a lot of energy coming out of the guys. If you compare the offense, that the level of energy the defense had versus the offense, I, I really don't see it this year. Because most of the time, you you need that vocal leader on the team to get everybody going. And I, I did not see a, a leader on that offense team that was to say, hey, guys, do you know what? We're down, but we got to get it going. We got to go. Just did not see it, unless if any of you guys saw it um, yesterday. But I just did not see it. And you have a pretty good spot. Because you're just a couple rows behind me on the 30-yard line behind our bench. So I know we're always kind of checking out and seeing what's going on there, who the coaches are talking to, what the players are doing after they come off the field. So, yeah, typically you don't know who that's going to be. A lot of teams it happens to be QB1, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Hayden might be a more, more quiet type of leader. But somebody's got to take charge in these situations, especially when you're only down 12 with seven minutes left. Now, I know it felt like it was a lot more, perhaps, because we couldn't get anything in it. But you, at that point in the game, you still have a legitimate shot at winning that game. And I know us as fans, we still believe that, hey, we're going to win this game. And I know last year we were in a lot of positions where we were playing from behind and it was clear that the team had confidence that they were going to pull that particular game out as well. But since the Coastal game, we've just been really struggling to get anything going on the offensive side of the ball. 
Yeah, um, the reason why I say that there's not being a lot of energy on the offensive side is I tend to watch the players' body language, and I do believe body language really speaks a lot during game and believe that the other team is also looking at your body language. After a three and out or after the offense uh, gives the ball away, coming off the field, you see everybody's kind of like, slow jogging back to the sideline there's not really that energy you know even after we get the ball back and we're getting back on the field after a defensive turnover everybody should be hyped obviously you want to play under control but be hyped going out there like hey we got the ball back this is a good thing let's go but you, you just don't see i just i just don't see it so i think that needs to change and i'm, I'm not sure if they do have that vocal leader on the team that could get the offense going as you know the defense is going so if they could get that done, I think that can make a, a change in the offense. It almost felt in a way that everyone was looking to everyone else to go and make that play that was going to jumpstart us instead of being that person that was going to step up and make the play that got us going. Because Aaron, you're right. It's 12 nothing. There's seven minutes to go. We can score touchdown drives in less than a minute. And you just kept waiting all day for what's that big play that's going to open this up, put the defense on their heels. And it, it never got there, but you always just kind of had that in your mindset. Like I've seen us go four plays, 72 yards, boom, we're right back in the game. And you have that confidence too, because if it's 12-7 and our defense goes back on the field, they're going to be jacked up. They're going to make that team go three and out or cause a turnover. And then now you've got a chance to go in the ball game. It's, it's someone has to step up and be that person that makes that big play instead of looking around in the huddle, trying to figure out who's going to be the one that's going to make it. So, I mean, we've had multiple, a lot of injuries throughout the year, but there's only one I can think of since Tyran Hunt's injury. Ever since he got hurt, this offense has seemed to be stuck in neutral. Maybe he was that guy for the in the huddle. I don't know. I don't know enough about the team. I haven't talked to the players, but it seems pretty coincidental that ever since he went down, we can't score. I'm sure that's a big part of how we've actually gotten worse running the ball, but we're not passing that well either now. So I don't know. Maybe it was Tyran Hunt. Keith Lucas did tell us that Brendan Clark did get in the huddle and try to hype the guy, guys up at one point yesterday. He thought he might be going into the game, but once he, he hyped him up, he, he went back to – he went back to – because it was on the sideline, I think. So he just left the area. But some guys were trying. They just – I don't know. Anyone else got any more takes on this game? No, I think we need to look ahead. This one's over. Let's forget about it. Going forward, next game's the most important game of the season, in my opinion, and I think we should chat about it. Also, I will say, who expected a 75-degree day in November? That did not feel like November. The weather was pretty beautiful. Yeah, we were roasting out there, too. All right. This week is the Oyster Bowl. It's one of our favorite events because it also coincides with our Toys for Tots collection drive. You may have seen our ad that came out Friday with ODU coaches, Don Manila, Ricky Ronnie, Jeff Jones, Delisha Milton-Jones, Mitch Brindley from Sailing, and Brian Conley from uh, ODU Rowing. Don Manila and Don Mueller, but big shout out to Don Manila for making that happen. He got us in touch with all the coaches, got them to put their time in to do that ad. 
and he got us Diego Cruz, who did the fantastic video shots of the Marines, the coaches, and big shout out to Harry McBride. He's been doing a lot of work behind the scenes for this collection drive. He's arranged an AAV to be set up on 49th Street. He's arranged for Marines to come and do the collection. He's arranged for ODU ROTC members to be walking the lots with ammo cans. And he's arranged one of the coolest things I've ever heard. A fan arranged of two F-18s to fly over the stadium pregame. Who else does that as a fan? I mean, what a dude. So proud of Harry. Happy he's a part of our group. But all right, toy collection drive. If you want to be involved, bring new unwrapped toys to the tailgate lot. We'll have a collection site in the blue lot. And we'll have one on 49th Street where that AAV is. Just look for the Marines and you'll find it. We also are accepting cash. And that's where you can, the ROTC members with the ammo cans, look for them and you can get donate cash. Last year, we collected 250 toys and $1,000. That was great, but I think we can do a lot better. Last year, Hampton Roads Toys for Tots group gave out 19,000 toys which is amazing, but they still didn't meet the need. And if we can help bridge that gap, it'll make us all very happy. So let's do it for the kids. Now we got to talk about this game. JMU is coming to town. I believe they're five and three on the season. Lost three straight. Last night they lost to Louisville, which Louisville is one of the best teams right now based on what they've done the last two weeks. They whooped Wake, and they shut Todd Santeo down last night. I saw his numbers. was a little shocked that they didn't lose by more. But their defense, Jamie's defense, is fantastic. So we're in for another low-scoring game probably. What are your takes, Gary? Jamie has a really strong defense. Uh, they've been bitten by the injury bug a little bit. I know one of their safeties is out for the season, but they're still pretty stout. They have a really good pass rush. They had a similar experience that we did against Georgia Southern, where they did a lot of things up front to neutralize that pass rush. And Georgia State was able, or Georgia Southern was able to, to throw the ball pretty well and move down the field. Offensively, it's Todd Santeo. If he is playing well, their offense is probably one of the best offenses in the country. If he's not playing well, really difficult to watch on the offensive side of the ball. He was missed a couple games due to injury. He came back for the Louisville game, but really looked like a shell of himself. He was four for 15 for 52 yards passing. He had five carries for 11 yards. So that's not the Todd Santeo that we saw when they went 5-0 to start the season. We're just absolutely throttling people. I know his, his injury, I believe, is an oblique injury that stemmed from an earlier shoulder injury that he had. That's a tough one. If you're a baseball fan and you hear your pitcher has an oblique injury, you just fear the worst because you don't know if they're going to be out two weeks or six months. Uh, but that offense really runs through him. And it, I think it really depends on what he's able to do, how healthy is he, how do they get him involved in the offense, or if they have to go to another one of their backups. But when they are clicking and firing on all cylinders, they are really, really good. I know they've had some injury issues on their offensive line, which has probably not helped Centeo very much. So they're kind of in a similar boat to us. They're second, third string up front some of the time. They've got some walk-ons playing. 
but this, this could definitely be another one of those where I tell you to absolutely hammer the under like I did last week. So if you're outside of Virginia and can bet on Virginia sports, I hope you took my advice for ODU Marshall last weekend. If folks didn't watch this game last night, though, this game was tied 10-10 at the half. And I don't know how many times that JMU had Centeno throw the ball in the second half. I know it wasn't many because on the message boards and on Twitter, all the JMU fans were talking about that. They really – I'm sure that Louisville stepped up on defense, but it appeared that JMU really shut down their passing game and even attempting – to try to do what they did in the first half. So it'd be interesting to be a fly on the wall here because I don't know how much of it was of Louisville shutting them down or JMU just kind of turtling up and going more conservative and stop throwing the ball. I didn't get to see enough of the game to know for sure, but if Centeno's not throwing the ball, it's they're a completely different team. The line on this game opened at seven and a half. In Jamie's favor, we are the underdog again. The total is at 47 and a half. Not a very big number again. All right. Well, this is one of those games that we know we haven't played JMU in quite some time. I see Jude, you shaking your head there, man. You're familiar. Yes. So we started playing football in 2009, and James Madison quickly became, I would say, our biggest rival when it comes to football and you guys beat them twice once at home once on the road in their house and this is a big game this is a rivalry game so perhaps a lot of stuff goes out the window here kind of like when we play virginia tech sometimes things just go out the window and from my perspective i know when we were tailgating for the field hockey game today we saw a lot of the football players go in walking into LR Hill to do whatever they got to do on Sunday. Um, they know that this game is their season. I know, Ricky, they, we talk 1-0, going 1-0. But if we don't go 1-0 this week, the other two weeks 1-0s are a little different. So I'm thinking we might see some different stuff this week. There's really no sense in having saved rounds at the end of this game. We've got to do whatever we got to do to win this game. Yeah. So, uh, guys, so when I when I played for ODU, there are two teams that I wish I would have played against. One, Virginia Tech, and second, JMU. Unfortunately, I was not part of the team back then when they played JMU when we were back in the CAA. But definitely, we heard about the games that we had against JMU and the rivalry that we had, and uh, it, it seemed like it was a very positive thing for both schools. So the games again against JMU um, this upcoming week is going to be great. The stadium is, go is going to be packed, and the students are going to be in the stadium to watch the game. Uh, this, past, this past game, um, the disappointment there, I still believe that fans are still going to be out there for the JMU game to support my football team, and hopefully we're able to get that win. Because uh, as you said, we could go 1-0 each week, but this one we need to go 1-0. So this is our second sell of the year. Student tickets have been sold out for weeks. We should be packed. I don't know how many people are going to hold on to their tickets and just not go, but weather looks like it could be dicey. Looks like rain all day, which is not ideal for a collection drive, but I hope y'all still come through on that for us. 
But that's good for the defense, and it's good for the under. It's not good for a team that has not been able to run the football, though. So maybe we get a weather change like we did for Liberty. I know all week we thought that was going to be a washout. Turned out to be a beautiful day. Maybe we get that. I don't know if those F-18s are going to be able to fly over if there's 20-mile-an-hour winds and rain, but we'd love to see that to get us kicked off. You want to talk about some energy going in the building, have those things go buzz the tower a little bit coming in? Yeah, rain would be not ideal for anything going on that day. Won't be good for us. Won't be good for the Shriners. Obviously, we won't, we'll lose the flyover. And we'll lose our ability to throw the ball. We can't have that. But we don't usually focus that much on the weather this early in the week because it does change so much over a short period. All it takes is one uh, front to just change direction and you're good. But we're three and six, fellas. We got to win this or the last two games or preparation for next year. Hey, we were three and six at one point last season, right? That's correct. So why not this year? Yeah, why not? A lot will have to change from yesterday to next week, though. Yeah, and uh, hopefully maybe after JMU game, if we win, we could start thinking about maybe bowl games, possibly. Yeah, we have to win it for that to be a possibility. So, Jude, you played on some teams that won a lot of games, and you played on some teams that did not qualify for bowl games. What was the locker room like when you were in this position where you know you got to win, this keep the bowl hopes alive? What was that like? So um, definitely during moments like this, you know, that that's where you figure out what your team is really made of. Is it made of uh, a bunch of people that are just going to point the fingers and say, okay, you know, this is this person's fault. Is this person's fault? This person's fault. But I know historically we we have looked at this to motivate us to go out there and you know and win the rest of the games. Um, if you know you we have three games left and we have to win those three games to possibly extend their about season one more games to go to a ball game because everybody wants to go to a ball game. So most of the time the guys really do come together and trying to figure out how to get that done. So I hope that's what the, this team is doing now, trying to come together, lean on each other, and figure how to get that one and know this this upcoming week. So, Jude, you got to a bowl game, didn't you? Yes, sir. That's why I got my shirt on right here. All right. Talk to us a little bit about that, man. Oh, so the Bahamas Bowl, it was, it was very amazing. First ever bowl ODU has been to, and, and we won. I think we were there uh, five days earlier before the game and you know everything all-inclusive hotel paid we stayed at Atlantis we had an all-day pass to all the water rides that we could go on and we go into the city itself to explore it so definitely one of the best experience I've had playing football and I was glad I was part of that team that year to be able to go over there and experience and play and win and bring back the basically the bull win back to ODU so it, it was very good experience Sounds like something cool for the fellas to look forward to, something to work towards. Yes, sir, definitely. So, Jude, 2015, was it the second year we were in Conference USA officially? But the first year that we were bowl eligible? Yes, yes. Right? Yes. You guys, at this point in the season, you had four wins. So you're really in a similar position as these guys. You had four wins, 
You need to win two of the last three to make it to a bowl. You only they only managed to win one, but this is a five win season, Gary. Twenty fifteen. You're shaking your head no, but I'm looking at twenty fifteen. They won five games. Mm -hmm. They beat UTEP, lost at Southern Miss, and lost at home against Florida Atlantic to not make a bowl. What was it like in that locker room? You guys were probably pressing, trying to make that first bowl. Right. Uh, I, I think I remember that last game. You said Florida Atlantic, right? Lost at home. Yeah, it was a, it was a very close loss. Yes. 31-33. Yes, I, I remember that game. And what I remember about that was everybody that was playing that game wanted to win that game for the seniors because most of the seniors was the last game if we lost. And we were trying to get that win for the seniors so they could at least experience a bowl game, you know, because that was the first year we were bowl eligible. And that loss was something that we couldn't get over. And I could tell you in the locker room, it was very, it, it was a sad moment. Everybody was crying because once again, we were trying to play for the seniors to be able to get a win and that experience a bowl game. And we, could, we weren't able to do that. But however, I know that fooled us for the next season to go in because we know how that, how we felt at the end of that game when it was so close to win that game, but we lost. So the next season, I do believe, um, got us there and then we were able to go to that bowl game in the Bahamas and then win. You didn't just win. You you won 10 games. Yes, sir. It's not easy to do in college football. Yes, sir. Yes. The only time we've ever done it. Yes. So. And I do know that season, um, that 2016 season, basically what was brought to our attention all the time is remember how we felt at the end of the day, at the end of the game, during the FAU game, the 2015. And I do know that really motivated the guys to play their best and, you know, as you said, win 10 games that, that next season. All right. So, ODU needs this one. We got a really strong running back coming to town. I, I can't say his name, and I I don't want to try, but JMU's starting running back is very, very talented. He had a very good game against Louisville. I think he had 24 carries for over 100 yards. Someone can check me there. Mike, just call him Mr. Percy. Yeah, Mr. Percy has been fantastic this season. And our defense is going to have to play very well to slow him down. They've been – they play like they did yesterday. I feel pretty good about our chances, but the offense is going to have to put it together. Mr. Percy will probably run into Mr. Henderson just a couple of times <laughs> on Saturday. I think that there will be some some pretty fun collisions there throughout that game. So speaking of Mr. Henderson, where are we at on this tackle stuff? While uh, we looked that up, you asked me to look up the block kicks earlier. Yeah. So technically, we are tied for fourth. There's only one team with six. There are three teams with five, and we have four. So we're, we're should say, our football team is ranked towards the very top of Division One football teams with regards to block kicks. We should be up pretty high now in red zone defense as well in terms of allowing touchdowns. I think Marshall had five red zone attempts on Saturday and did not get in the end zone once. We were already ranked pretty highly in that stat. So 
the bend but don't break is definitely working for us. All right, Jason Henderson has 148 total tackles per game at 16.4. That's pretty amazing. So I asked that question because the NCAA all-time record for single-season tackles is 191. And you said he's at 146? 148. 148. So he's got three games to get that, to bridge that gap. That's in striking distance with him averaging close to 20 a game. Yeah, he's got 16.4 a game. So you got three games left. That's roughly 48, 49 tackles. Yeah, he'd have the if record. If you just go with the straight average. Yeah, he yeah. has the record. I think if he stays healthy, he does. Or yeah, that's a bit. Oh, I mean, he's not healthy now. <laughs> oh, I know. That's why. That's why I was. Uh, I was taking a step back and say, if he's able to stay on the field and be as effective as he has been, I think that, especially with seeing it out there. Yeah. And I don't know how conscious he is of it. It's out there a lot. People are chirping about it a lot. We're talking about it here, so I'm sure he's aware. But we see him on the field. Clearly, the number one thing in Jason's mind is winning football games. That's the most important thing. So I'm sure if we were to ask him this question and go, what would you rather do, win three games or break this record? It's a slam dunk. We know he wants to win the games. But it's clear that he's such an impact player. If we win these three games, he probably breaks a record. Well, he's probably going to break the re record regardless. But uh, I want to go back to what Gary's question about red zone defense we are now the 10th ranked team in the country in red zone defense phenomenal we're at our 71 percent we have a long way to go to catch ucf who is at 61 percent which is pretty phenomenal but top 10 hard hard to complain about that gary what were you going to say sorry for cutting you off just to, to keep these games meaningful down the stretch, we get a win on against JMU on Saturday, then that game at App State means, hey, we can stay alive for a bowl game. If we win that, then the game at South Alabama means that's a meaningful game for us to get to six and six. I, I worry if we do get to seven losses that some of these guys that are nursing some legit injuries but are playing through the pain they may be told to, hey, you, you need to take it easy. And when you start thinking about next year, Jason Henderson will be one of those guys. I'm sure Terry Jones, they want to play. You're going to have to pry him off the field to give him out of there. But you start thinking of long-term health and things like that. And why risk it when we have seven losses or eight losses? So winning keeps these games meaningful. It keeps that chase for that record intact, for sure. All starts with beating JMU. If you can't get pumped up and motivated to go beat JMU, I don't know why you're playing football. If we beat JMU and then are able to go down to Boone and win that game, I'm going to hide in a wheel well of our charter flight to go to South Alabama. Just saying it right now. I, I'll risk going in the doghouse and bailing on Thanksgiving plans if, if that would be the sixth win down there. <laughs> so I'm looking at it. Jason's already 48th on the all-time like single-season tackle record list. Got three games to go. In NCAA all time? In a single season, he has right now he's tied for forty fourth. Best season ever for tackling. Dude is a machine, man. Luke Keekley, 
he's number one and he's number two. In 2010, he had 183. In 2011, he had 191 for Boston College. They're very similar style linebackers too. Like they yeah. just every time you look around at a pile, like they're in there, they've hit somebody. They, they play fast, they hit hard, and they don't do not shy away from contact either one of them. And I don't know, I don't know if he even gets tired. That dude is a machine. I'm like, how, how does he keep going? I actually watch that pretty uh, pretty intensely because he's all over the field. So when he comes back, I said he, he was huffing and puffing, but I'll tell you what, he gets ready for the next time to go out in the field. He's got a way to push through through that regardless of how beat up he is, or how tired he is. They're trying to pull him off the field, see him limping sometimes that he is pull, pulling himself out and he's being that traffic cop out there and directing the defense and where they need to be and getting ready for the next play. It's really fun to watch. It's that wrestler's mentality because wrestling, the best wrestlers know that the fight through the, their exhaustion to win. And if they don't, they're not going to win. That's how guys get pinned. And we all know he was a fantastic wrestler and it's because of that will to win. So I'm just trying to enjoy what we have while we have it. Who knows how long a guy like Jason Henderson will play college football because he's talented enough to go to the next level. So I'm just going to try to enjoy it while we have it because this guy is a specimen and he's amazing to watch. So just try to enjoy what we do have while we have it. The losses are tough, but – there are some fantastic athletes on this team that you could just, if you can just appreciate what they're doing for us at the time they're doing it, like Ali. Dude went into the locker room very early yesterday and still came back out and tried his best to make plays. And he's been doing that all season, playing hurt, making plays, just trying to show them appreciation for what they're doing. That's, it's not easy. I don't know, Jude, maybe you can talk a little bit about how many injuries these guys have to fight through just to play every week. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I do know a lot of these guys are hurt and uh, part of the drive that keeps them coming back is to, to play a good game and to win for the team. So definitely these guys are great players pushing through the pain. Cause you know, there are times where some guys are banged up. They're taped up to wazoo. You don't, you know, there's tape here, tape there, tape there just to keep them uh, walking straight and every single time in the ice bath and having to go through the training room to get taped up to get that those treatment. So definitely late into the season, there's a lot of guys that are hurt. But if we keep playing and we, we get those wins, that really motivates them to keep staying on the field and to give, the, uh, give us all their best. So one guy you played with that I always loved was Dev Washington. This he got moved around. He got moved to receiver, then moved back to quarterback. But he played hard-nosed football. He wasn't. He never was afraid to get hit, and he just kept going at it. I'm sure he had a lot of injuries that he had to deal with in that 10-win season. I think that one thing great about David was he had the mentality as in just put me wherever I could be useful. I know he was uh, – the quarterback and then he got he lost that position but he basically was repping with the receivers and he was like I want to be useful to the team and put me where I can be useful and that's how he played and I do know that season he was uh, playing hurt a lot but 
his mentality and his drive, um, he kept coming back in to to play to put us in good positions. So there are guys like that on this team, and oh, if they're listening to this, I could keep telling them to stick with it, keep fighting, and I do know that there are better days coming too. Yeah, Gary, I know one of your favorite players. We've got one of those on our team right now, right? Stevie Williams. Well, he's a quarterback, he's a receiver, and now he's a very scary linebacker. I believe he set a personal record for tackles on Saturday. He was flying all over the field. He looks settled, but yeah, it's it, you just you just can't help but root for guys like that. Like David Washington, what an amazing story he had at Old Dominion quarterback loses that goes to receiver ends up coming back becomes really one of the most efficient passers we've had which says a lot considering he followed taylor heineke just ultimate team guys will do whatever stevie williams doesn't look like a quarterback anymore because he's bulked up and he's massive and he's just a scary human being to, to be around now but yeah it's it's awesome seeing guys like that like jason henderson terry jones playing through injury there's so many guys that are just throwing it all out there every Saturday, playing through all kinds of things that you'll never know about. The team doesn't release the injury stuff. Like you don't know what those guys are dealing with and they're still out there playing with injuries that us mere mortals wouldn't be able to like walk out of the house with. So here's my take on Saturday. Last home game. Our guys, our coaches know that we've got to win this game. We got to go one and know. And as a fan myself, I know this is my last home game this year until next September of being able to watch these guys play. So as fans, we need to show up. If you have tickets and you can't show up, find another Monarch fan and give them your tickets. Don't be worried about selling them. Find Monarch fans or someone at work who hasn't had the opportunity to ever go to a game. Let them take their family to the game. And we need to show up and go all out as we can do making noise, supporting the team, show up to work the following Monday with no voice, whatever it is, this is our last opportunity. Let's do our part. You heard the man. Show up to Ballard, get loud, wear blue, let's go, want to know. And bring a new unwrapped toy or lots of cash for the Marines. Sir. Help these kids in the seven five seven. Let's let's do it. Go monarchs. Go monarchs. Go monarchs. Go monarchs.